few days ago marked six months of being ordained here at Myerstown. And in those few short six months, I believe that I've, I've learned a few things. And in one area, specifically in doing ministry with my father, there's many benefits. Uh, his wisdom, his patient answer to my many questions is a blessing. But I, I am learning of one downside. And that is how it relates to sermon illustrations. Now, those of you who have been blessed to sit under my father's preaching for the last 10 years know that my life and my experiences have become a a warehouse for my dad to pull sermon illustrations from. He's always very gracious in prefacing those times with terms like his oldest son or one of the boys, and it's very clearly myself. And I'm not bitter in that, but if you'll bear with me, I do want to reuse one of those illustrations here this morning, one that happened to me, and obviously it happened to him as well because I was living at home at that time. But it is the tale of the two pigs. And it all began one Saturday morning. I was in the office at work looking over to Lancaster Farm, and I saw an ad for two Idaho pasture pigs. Now, an Idaho pasture pig is not supposed to dig and root in the grasses. Some other pigs are prone to do. And so I purchased two of these pigs, threw them in the back of a dog crate in the, black, in the back of the Mazda, and my then-girlfriend got the opportunity to take that back to our house. You can ask her how that went later. Oh, she was not thrilled at all. That's not the point of the illustration this morning, but as I put these two pigs in their pen and I fed them and they ate and they grew and did what all pigs did, I guess, it did become apparent after a couple weeks, though, that one of the pigs was significantly larger than the other, and being as I bought them at the same time and fed them the same food, this was concerning for me as a new pig farmer. And so I called up a few friends who I knew raised pigs and called the vet that Dad used from time to time at the farm there, farm, and got some, some helpful advice and such like. Um, I tried giving it some milk to, you know, because it clearly was not eating the pellets I was giving it. Um, but in the coming weeks and days, this, this difference in size just grew until one morning uh, that pig died. And then it's the story of just one pig. The conclusion of that story was apparently pigs can lose their desire to live. But the, the facts remain that one pig ate and then therefore grew, and one pig chose not to eat and therefore died. And this morning, I want to talk about spiritual growth and relate that rather humorous story or not so humorous story to our spiritual lives and how we can gain from that. And as we start thinking about spiritual growth in our lives, if you could place yourself physically in a location where you would deem it most profitable for growth, where would it be? That may seem like an odd question, but as you think about that, God has a very, very specific location where he has placed his children and where growth has happened the most. And maybe you think of places like Bible school or Open Gate, maybe the mission field, other physical locations where you would see growth as happening. The title of this morning's message is The Desert and Spiritual Growth. And I want to look at this morning and explain the location maybe that God uses for spiritual growth, look at the enablers of spiritual growth, while also there are some hindrances And I want us to strive to grow closer to God through this as an individual and as a church body. There are four men I want to look at this morning who spent a significant amount of time in the desert 
There's two from the Old Testament and two from the Old Testament. Can you name them? Four men who spent a significant amount of time in the desert. Moses, yes. I did not think of that one, but that's a good one. So maybe there's more. The other one from the Old Testament is David, um, as he ran for his life. Um, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness after he was baptized. And the more recent one that I thought about is the Apostle Paul spent three years in the wilderness after, or in Arabia, it says, which if you know anything about Arabia, would be considered a desert today. So Moses spent 40 years in the desert. And David was, I didn't really get a true number on where he was at, but multiple years running for his life in the hills of Judea and the surrounding areas. Like I said, Jesus was 40 days, and um, Paul was three years. I want to look at maybe why they were there, a very specific location, maybe what they learned and how they, they grew out of that. Let's start with Moses. As Moses was in the Egyptian palace, and he looked out, and he saw a need for deliverance for the people, for the Israelites. He associated with them. He saw their, their trials, and he had compassion on them, and he was moved into action. But everything that he did was according to his agenda and by his strength. And because of his brazen actions, he fled to the desert. And God allowed Moses to go to the desert to feed sheep for 40 years. And after those 40 years were accomplished, God comes back to Moses and says, Moses, I'm ready to bring my people out of Egypt. Go bring them out. And the same man who had jumped ahead of God 40 years earlier now says, who am I that I should lead them? Something changed in that 40 years of feeding sheep in the desert. And Moses had learned true fellowship with God. Moses had learned oneness with God through that time. And it was all in preparation for the next 40 years of his life of leading the Israelites through the desert as well. So let's leave Moses. Let's look at David. A brief timeline of him. He was tending sheep one day, like any other normal day. And the prophet Samuel anoints him as king over Israel. After that happens, he's called by that king, to, or called by Saul, to come to the palace to play the harp for him. Saul likes this young man, makes David his armor bearer, even invites him to live with him full time. And then we know the story of David and Goliath and how David... Uh, conquer Goliath. There's also many other victories, and David's praise for those victories in battle. And now Saul, the same man who liked this guy, is now trying to kill him. And for the next number of years, David and his men are fleeing from Saul, and as David is given various opportunities to kill Saul, he con continues to turn those down and show his loyalty to the king. And it's interesting, and it, we don't know for sure, but we can I'm sure David learned trust through those times. He learned, again, f true fellowship with God. Read some of those psalms that David wrote during those times in the desert. Uh, psalm 34 is, is one of the, of the many. And the insight, and you can just picture David as he's, wherever he is, in a cave or somewhere, writing these psalms, and just true, raw emotion of where he's at as a person and what his view of God is during that time. It's fascinating. Next, the Apostle Paul. Before he was obviously the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, a persecutor of the church and a very adamant one. On his road to Damascus in Acts 9, he is converted. He is 
affronted with Jesus Christ, who asks him very point blank, why are you persecuting me? He is blinded, and he goes into Damascus, where he fasts for three days. He regains his sight, regains his strength, and then he leaves the desert for three years. And we don't, really have, a, we don't have any record, really, of, of what Paul did in Arabia for those three years. But I believe we can look at Paul and who he was as a man and get a little bit of a glimpse or an idea of what he could have been doing. Paul, in his own words, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so this man knew the Old Testament more than probably anybody, but yet he missed the promises of the Messiah. He missed the prophecies and the Old Testament uh, workings of Jesus. And so I'm sure Paul spent a lot of time searching the Old Testament. We also know that he received his, the gospel of Jesus Christ during that time. And that comes from Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by the revelation, or, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So during those three years is where he received the gospel that he then ended up preaching for the rest of his life. And so after his time in the desert, Paul goes back to Damascus, spends a few days there with the believers, and then goes to Jerusalem, meets with Peter and John, and then begins his ministry. What about Jesus? Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And then Luke 4 begins with saying that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And he was there 40 days with no food. And after that 40 days was then when he was tempted by the devil three times. Jesus returns victorious from that experience. He has proved himself faithful. And the next preceding chapters and verses begin his ministry. And so as we look at ways that enable or promote spiritual growth in our life, the big one, I feel, is the desert. But what is it about the desert that facilitates growth? Why is the desert so effective? What aspects of that make it God's chosen place where he takes his people for very specific learning? And so I'm going to look closely at the desert experiences of Moses, David, and Paul. All of them were alone except for David. David had his men with him, but I believe at times he too would have been alone. But for the most part, Moses, and I guess we don't really know about Paul, but they were alone in their desert for their a lot of time that they were there. Interesting to note that all of these men had their desert experience before their ministry. Not during, not after. It was before their ministry began. It was where they had this desert experience. And Moses and David definitely did not choose the desert. Paul maybe did. It appears that he chose to go away for a little bit. But Moses did not choose to spend 40 years in the desert. David did not choose to run around like a wild man for a number of years fleeing for his life. That was not in their plan. And yet here they are. All of these men experienced change in their life after their desert time. I believe they all grew closer to God and they all gain a better understanding for themselves and also the various ways that God prepared them for the ministry in specific ways. And so while I doubt I'm not going to see someone here next Sunday who will be in a physical, dry, hot, sandy desert, there are ways, I believe, that we can have deserts today. Maybe it's a spiritual desert or an emotional desert. To illustrate this, I want to talk a little bit about maybe one of my personal deserts that happened just recently through the miscarriage of our firstborn child. 
and the disappointment that arose out of that and the, the shattered dreams that you experience and the sorrow that you feel. And during that time, that was definitely a desert time. I didn't choose that. I didn't want to be there, but yet that's where it was. But in that, I learned the sovereignty of God. I learned the goodness of God, that he is overall, but yet he's with you through it all. And there's amazing parallels between the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God working together. I grew closer to God through that time. As you are faced with certain situations like that and you are seeking God, he does reveal himself to you. And also grew closer to my wife during that time as we walked together with that. And like I said, like Moses and David, I didn't choose that desert, but yet I was there. And not that I wish that on anyone here this morning, that is an invaluable time of, in my life. And I recognize the significance of that and the growth that happened because of it. And I want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. God was there, and his grace was not in vain. And the man that I am now versus the man I was before that time, they're a different person. And I'm grateful for that time of desert that God allowed me to be in. And there are aspects that we can incorporate a physical desert into our lives today. We talked about these men being alone, and that's the first one that comes to my mind, is simply being alone, free from the distractions of other people, free from the distractions of our phone, free from the distractions of our computer. All three of those can help us in our growth, but there's definitely an aspect of the desert where we are alone, and we are just between us and God. We can focus on God, focus on our spiritual lives and where we are at, and often during the, the gro- during the desert, growth does not seem like it's happening. We don't necessarily see it in the moment. And often it's when we look back that we recognize that, okay, I grew in this area, or God taught me more about himself during this time. And D.L. Moody says that there is progress in a Christian life when he may not seem to be going ahead. Like a canal boat in a lock, when it stands still, but is rising all the time. The canal boat illustration is a beautiful one when compared to our spiritual lives. That canal boat does not appear like it's going towards its destination any more than it was before when it's in the lock, but yet without the lock time or that experience, it would not get to its destination. And our spiritual lives are the same. Time in the desert may seem like wasted time. Look at Moses. For 40 years, he's feeding, his, feeding the sheep while the Israelites are being abused in Egypt. That seems like wasted time. That could have been 40 years where they were more time in the promised land. What about Paul? Three years, he's away in the desert somewhere. Think of all the more churches that could have been planted, the lives that could have been touched, the books he could have written, maybe. But the desert is necessary for the preparation of the journey and also for the completion of that journey. Just like that boat in the canal needs to go through the locks in order to go towards its destination as well. So I believe one of the number one ways that we are grown spiritually is through our times of desert. The next one is the work of refining that God does in our lives. And turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Malachi 3, verses 2 and 3. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. 
And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. During the 1800s, there was a group of believers doing a Bible study in the capital of Ireland, Dublin. And they were confused about Malachi 3 and the verse 3 in the beginning there where it says, He, sit, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And as they were trying to figure out what this means, how it applies to their lives, one of the members of this group decided that they would go talk to a silversmith, learn the trade and the nuances of it, and therefore would gain understanding. And so without explaining the intent of their visit, they, they went to the silversmith and asked him, hey, how do you do what you do? And he happily obliged and in great detail gave the, or explained the work that he does. And after he did that, the person asking the question says, but sir, do you sit while the work of refining is being performed? He said, oh yes, I must sit with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace. For if the time necessary for refining be exceeded in the slightest degree, the silver is sure to be injured. As the person turned to leave, the silversmith added that he only knew when the work of purifying was completed, when he could see his own reflection in the silver. Seeing this illustration of the silversmith and what they actually do physically reveals the comfort and the promise of verse 3 here. Again, he shall sit, as speaking of God, and God shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. God does the work of the refining. But he doesn't just throw us in the furnace and turn his back on us while he does his other business. He is fully intent on what he is doing in that furnace and his love and his wisdom and his mercy and grace are fully fixated on the work of purifying that has happened, happening in that furnace. And he seeks the best for his children. Our trials do not come by random. They are put there very specifically to purge and to purify the imperfections out of our lives. And we can understand that the work of refining is only completed when Jesus Christ is reflected in our lives. And so we understand the sovereignty of God and that God does the work of refining, as it says here in Malachi. But God also uses other people to do that work as well. And a verse that illustrates this is in Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. In order for this to happen in the church, it requires us to be vulnerable. It requires us to be willing to lay aside our pride, to lay aside the front that we wish to put on that makes us appear like we have it all together, and to allow others to come into our lives to do the sharpening. But also, we need to be willing to do the sharpening in their lives as well. It's a two-way street. But growth will only happen if we are willing to be vulnerable and willing to let others in. There's a new song um, by Casting Crowns called Anything Easy. I want to read the first verse and chorus to you, speaking about this idea of iron sharpening iron and speaking into each other's lives. I can see the path you've chosen. We both know where this is going. I'm afraid of how your story is going to end. And as scared to speak as I am, I know this could be my last chance to stand between you and forever's edge. The chorus says, It would be easy to talk about the weather. It would be easy to look the other way. But I love you too much to not say something. Without the truth, my love means nothing. Sometimes love is anything but easy. But are we willing to do the hard work of sharpening? 
our friends and our brothers. There are two responses that we can have during desert times or the refining times. We can say, why me? Why must I go through this? Why can't someone else have this experience? Or we can say, what is God attempting to teach me through this? And your response and your, the way you answer that question is going to directly impact the, in, the outcome of that refining process or the time of desert. It, can, it will be growth or it could be bitterness. It could draw us closer to God or take us further away from God, all depending on our response. Last week, Dad talked about focus and the way it's necessary for the Christian life in order to reach their destination. But as, it, as focus pertains to growth, what are we focusing on? Do we focus on the growth? Or do we focus on the Heavenly Father who's working the growth? And it may seem very similar, but I believe there is an aspect that we need to focus on God versus what's actually happening and trying to promote growth in our life. Turn with me to Matthew 6. And we're going to look at four verses here. Matthew 6, verses 26 through 29. This is often what we go to in looking about worry or anxiety. Um, I want to take it maybe a little different way this morning. So, Matthew 6, verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are they not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I want to to behold the fowls of the air. I want to consider the lilies here this morning. They don't grow their food. They don't store their food. They don't worry about getting bigger, stronger, or as a flower, more beautiful. They simply exist. And there's very many other situations in nature that does that. We look at the stars, the moon, the ocean, the air. All of these things are not focused on the growth that is happening in them, but simply on existing. And as humans, we can look to nature and we gain incredible insight into who God is as a creator. But it's because of these items all simply glorify God in their simple existence. And concerning this passage, Oswald Chambers says that Jesus is teaching that growth in spiritual life does not depend on our watching it, but on the concentration of our Father in heaven. If we keep concentrated on Him, we will grow spiritually as the lilies. Our focus is to be on our Father who works the growth in us. And as our focus is on our Father, instead of on the growth, growth will simply be natural and an outflowing of us. Spiritual growth, we need to recognize, is not a work of our hands and something that we drum up and create in us, but rather the work of our Father in heaven. So we looked at what enables spiritual growth, times of desert like the men that we talked about, and also um, our refining or the purifying work that God does. But now what hinders that? What are some areas or ways in our lives that we can actually hinder our spiritual growth? The first one also comes from Mr. Chambers where he says, we hinder our spiritual growth more than any other way by continually asserting our individuality. And the, the characteristics of our individuality are our independence, our self-will, 
Our independence says, I don't need the church. I don't need the brotherhood. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else's help. This is between me and God. I don't need the authority of the church. Self-will just looks out for itself. It's not concerned about anybody else. It sacrifices nothing for the church. And it doesn't take advice from anybody else. And our individuality is a primary characteristic of a young child. And we understand this as we watch them and the words they use and the actions. That is our individuality. And it's a gift from God. We are different. We are created with his fingerprint. We're in the image of God. And that's, that's a blessing, but it, it needs to be surrendered to God. It needs to be broken. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Once our individuality is surrendered and it's broken, it's denied, then the spiritual life can come out of that. It can flourish. It can grow. And so our individuality is a blessing, but it's also a curse, and it's a hindrance, or it, can, it will be a hindrance in our spiritual life. The second one is complacency. And complacency is the thought that we've arrived spiritually, and we don't have any room for growth in our lives, and that we are better than those around us. Complacency can come after success, and when we look back at what we have done, and we say, wow, I, I have accomplished that. Now I deserve a break. I can relax a little bit. And that's when complacency comes in. It's a result of poor self-discipline when we allow ourselves to take the foot off the gas pedal or relax. And we demonstrate a lack of alertness and vigilance in that. It can also come as we reduce the expectations of ourselves. And that happens when we look around and say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. And I do this better than that person. And so I don't have to try as hard. And so I lower my expectations of ourselves and we become okay with where we're at, at spiritually. We're not growing. And so there's a few safeguards against complacency, and these are simply, I have seven of them here this morning, and they're simply snippets of verses. So number one, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Number two, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be vigilant. And like Paul said, he presses towards the mark of the high calling. And Paul also said, fight the good fight of faith. And finally in Hebrews so run that you may obtain the prize. If, if that is our mindset, if we apply that in our lives, complacency is not going to be, is not, cannot also be there as well. And so, how do we apply this? As we looked at the enablers of spiritual growth, as we looked at the hindrances of spiritual growth, what does that mean for us today? The desert. First of all, we need to allow God to lead us into the desert. And in the desert, we become face-to-face -face with God Almighty. And no man who has come face-to-face -face with Almighty God has returned the same man. Think about the consequences of Moses and David and Paul if they would have avoided their desert. What if Moses, after thir three years of feeding the sheep, said, You know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to go get those people out of Israel and we're going to, or out of Egypt, and we're going to leave. What if David, after a few years running for his life, would have said, you know what, I am the anointed king. I'm going to take my men, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to make myself king. What if Paul would have said, you know what, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I know the Old Testament, we're going to go plant some churches now. I can guarantee we would not be reading about these men in the same way that we are. Because they allowed themselves to be led to the desert, allowed themselves to be, come face to face with God and be changed and be prepared for their journey is how we can learn and read of them today. And there's 
definitely aspects of a physical, dusty, hot desert that we can implement into our lives this morning. And again, it goes back to being alone. And that can look different for all of us, but simply just you and God, focusing on who He is and focusing on your relationship with Him. The work of refining, we also need to allow God to do that. We need to cherish the promise in Malachi 3 that He is sitting by the furnace. He is intent on what He is doing, and He's not doing it at random. He's doing it for a very specific reason and purpose, and He seeks the best in your life. And also, the aspect of the brotherhood and the beauty of that. When we allow ourselves to become vulnerable and we can work in others' lives and they can work in our lives and we can grow together. But we also need a proper attitude. What is God trying to teach me? What does he want me to learn in this? And that takes a lot of strength and trust to stop in the work of refining or in that time of desert and simply say, what is it, God? What, what are you trying to teach me? And trust that he is doing that for your benefit. Hindrances of spiritual growth, we've talked about individuality and the need to deny self. That comes from Jesus himself in Matthew 16. We need to surrender our individuality to the lordship of Jesus Christ. When he takes it under his care, under his authority, our inner self, our spiritual life can emerge, it can fellowship with God and others, and then it can grow out of that. And also growth will not happen if we are complacent. If we are okay where we are at spiritually, we're not going to continue growing. So never glory in your perceived accomplishments. Never allow yourself to the thought that, you know, I deserve a break. Or, and we can never grow content in our spiritual lives. I have a little acrostic for the word growth this morning that I want to share with you. G stands for grounded. Growth needs to be grounded in the Bible. It needs to be grounded in Jesus Christ, not on what others say and do. Yes, God uses those. We talked about the brotherhood in the, in the blessing of that. But God does the growth, not us. And we also need to rely on the Bible for truth, not the works of other men, although they may be godly and correct. R stands for requires hard work. Growth requires hard work. And although we recognize that God does the work of growing, there is definitely time where you're in the desert and you're seeking God and you're, you're praying and you're reading, and that requires self-discipline, requires work. For O stands for open to growth. You are not going to grow if you're not open to that growth. And that is also one way where you can combat complacency, where you can desire growth in your life. W stands for wait on the Lord. Allow the Lord to do his work. Unlike Moses did where he jumped ahead of God and tried to implement his plan. Don't rush ahead. Trust his sovereignty. Trust that he knows what he's doing and that he, in his time and his glory, will work it out. T stands for time alone. I've talked about this over again, but I think it's so important considering the desert today. And we looked at Moses and David, Paul and Jesus, and the time alone that they spent and what, how that impacted their ministry. And also there's just power in solitude, and we can see that over and over again. And finally, for H, hunger and thirst after the Lord or after righteousness. This will also fight against complacency, but ask God for that hunger. Ask God for that thirst to continue searching in your spiritual lives. We began a sermon this morning with looking at the tale of the two pigs. And I want to finish the sermon here this morning on the same note. We recognize a difference between those two pigs. 
And the issue was that one ate and therefore grew, and one decided not to eat and therefore starved itself to death. And we don't need a certified veterinarian to tell us the issue there, and we can see that for ourselves. But if we become blinded to what is needful in our spiritual lives, Jesus spoke about this to the Pharisees and Sadducees of his day. He said, you guys, you can see the signs of the time by looking at the sky or the weather. But yet, concerning Jesus, they were blinded. And if we become, are we better at determining the natural things of life, like two pigs, versus, and yet we're not good at determining our own spiritual lives and where we are at. The Christian life is one of constant growth and learning. And there's never a point that we have arrived spiritually until we walk through those pearly gates some blessed day. We need to continue growing and pushing. So I want to leave with you an encouragement this morning from Galatians 6, where Paul says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Growth can only happen if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and allow ourselves to be pushed outside of what's comfortable and what we already know. And utilize the amazing benefit of the brotherhood to push others, to allow others to push you. And as a church body, we can then grow closer to Jesus Christ. Growth is vital in a Christian life. And I hope that this morning as we went through this that we, we understand why God used the physical location of the desert. And how that implemented his change in the lives that he wanted to touch. But also we can see for ourselves today what enables spiritual growth in our lives. And also the opposite of what, what's, what hinders that spiritual growth as well. And I pray that we can strive to grow closer to God as individuals, but also as a church body as we continue to serve and glorify him. Let's bow to pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, and I want to trust your sovereignty as you lead us through the desert times and the times of refining that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, I ask that in each one of our lives that you would look in, that you would call us closer to yourself. And whatever way that you choose to grow us spiritually, would we be open to that? Would we allow you to do your work in us? And would we make ourselves available for when we can sharpen iron as iron with our brothers and sisters in the church and also allow others to sharpen us as well? Would you dismiss us with your grace and peace and would we honor and glorify you throughout the week in your name? Amen. Make me the song.